This is actually the first Ecomobile we built about 12 years ago. And then I built the second one here um, a year or two after that. When was that? Uh, about 10 years ago. If you have a look under the building there, you'll see the remnant of an old caravan chassis. You can see a couple oh, of yeah. wheels. Uh -huh. So that's there to provide the mobility should we ever need to move it. Oh, I see. I mean, it's not likely that we'll ever move it. And between you and I... Um, and uh, everyone listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, even though we build these as mobiles, it's not likely we'll ever move them. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're built in this part of the of the uh, campus because we have a lot of specimen trees here. It's a nature mm. corridor, like a green corridor for mm. wildlife to come and go from Central Pine Ridge through to the forest. Um, and that's why we built them here, because they can be built um, in a very low impact way. You know, they don't, they're, they're not like a slab on ground kind of a house. Sure. They, they touch the ground very lightly yeah. and they can be interspersed amongst the trees without doing any damage to the roots. So it preserves this wildlife corridor in a way that, you know, regular buildings would not do. In this episode of Resurgence Voices, I visit residents of the Fintorn spiritual community in northern Scotland. Since the 1980s, Fintorn has become famous for its sustainable housing. I met architect Graham Meltzer, who lives in what he describes as an eco-mobile home, and Craig Gibson, an elder of the community, whose house is made from whiskey barrels. Join me, Marianne Brown, for a listen inside these incredible homes. Ethical living. Ecology. Eco-activism. Resurgence. So come on in. And you arrive into a, a vestibule, which is like a conservatory, a little porch, place for shoes and coats and so on, but also a place of transition into, into the main space. Mm. You um, let the ivy come in here, it's nice. Well, the ivy actually lives in here. It lives in oh, it does? And it's kind of taking over, as ivy does. Yeah. Yeah. Will there be a point where you don't want the ivy to be quite so at home? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I've, I've passed that point already. I think. <laughs> um, it's a shoe-free space. As, oh, yeah. As, Sorry. You know, any self-respecting retreat space should be. Yes, absolutely. So this is the main space. I talked about the limitations of a caravan in terms of dimensions. So this is exactly six meters wide. Mm. Um, but it's, it's sufficiently wide to get a sense of spaciousness and to incorporate a, in the kind of open living style, kitchen, dining, living room, all in one space. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, you know, they kind of cartwheel around the stove that's in the center of the room. So. In winter, um, 
this is kind of a, a kind of primal kind of tribal focal point for the room. Where do you get the wood from? We have our own sustainably harvest forest right mm. right here. In fact, we're on the edge of it here. Mm-hmm. So there's a wood pile that's organised by the foundation for its staff members, mm. and I can just go down and pick up firewood as I need to. So the heat actually passes down to the rest of the house. So there's a single bedroom down there and a bathroom and storage. Mm. And that stove manages to heat the whole house mm-hmm. if it's managed well enough. So you have to open doors. I mean, that's the thing about an eco-dwelling generally. You know, living in an eco-house is almost like driving a car. You can't expect the technology to to do everything for you. You know, a proper, a decent passive anyway, a passive eco-house requires that you know, doors and windows are open and shut according to the, the climate and the needs of the day. And you feed the fire and, and so on. You know. So the sewage system is a biological treatment works. Um, we call it the living machine because it's, it's based on um, the principle of the sewage being cleaned by biological elements. So bacteria, microbes even little swimming creatures. Mm. So the sewage passes through a series of tanks that have plants growing in them. And the plants have very deep roots. So that the tanks are actually three metres deep. Mm. And, and the roots from the plants, the plants are kind of suspended in a, in, on a raft that floats in the sewage. And the roots hang down a couple of metres into the tank. And it's not the roots that do the actual cleaning, it's the microbes that live in the roots. So the roots are there to provide a an environment for the for the micro life to exist and so as the sewage passes through one tank after another and there's about six or seven tanks altogether it gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner mm-hmm. until it gets to the end uh, at which point it's it looks clean but it's not potable you can't drink it because it hasn't had that final treatment of typically of ultraviolet mm-hmm. um, that makes it potable so we use it for, for irrigation and returning to the water table. Because um, generally in, in this climate here in Scotland, we don't need the water for drinking purposes. So we use it as we can. I mean, that would be, I mean, if climate change really hits such that, you know, we have issues with the water supply, then we would probably consider putting filters in that would enable us to use it. But that hasn't happened yet. Um, you talked about um, wanting to make this a tranquil space. Uh, you talked about light. Yeah, um, so lots of natural light. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel it? Well, it's very quiet. Feels. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's quiet. quiet. <laughs> it's quiet, you know, Still. because we're on a quiet street and we have nature all around. Not much happens in this part of the, the campus. Uh, it's up against the forest on, yeah. on that side. Were there, were there any other um, features that you wanted to include that would make it tranquil for you? Yeah, so what's missing from this living room that you might find in most living rooms? Well, lots of clutter, it's very... Yeah, not much clutter, yeah. so yeah, so... Oh, there's no TV or anything? No TV, so, you mean, yeah. yeah. So there's no TV, no dishwasher, yeah. no microwave, there's not even a clothes washer or clothes dryer, mm-hmm. because we have a communal laundry. Mm. So that's a good example of being able to use shared resources to improve the qualities of an individual private house. Mm. I'm I'm more than happy to carry my laundry to the to the communal laundry a couple of times a month to um, to avoid having one of those machines that shakes and rattles and mm. brings a 
a very busy energy to the house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, minimal, minimal mod cons. So I've got a fridge, of course, and a, and a cooker and a music machine. And I think that's it. That's my technology. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you built it 10 years ago. Mm. Um, if you were to build it again now, would you change anything? Not a lot, no. no. Back then I put these heaters on the wall as a kind of backup. I think I could probably get away without those altogether. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's much I would do different, actually. Next, I met Craig Gibson, artist and permaculture expert, who lives in one of the village's famous barrel houses. So uh, this is the original barrel, uh, and the barrels were designed uh, as um, micro-houses. And so within this 25-foot radius, uh, there was a kitchen, uh, and there's a toilet and a bathroom around the back and a bedroom up there, and this is the living room, all in one little space. There's only one left in its original state, and that's, I mean, you might have seen Roger D Dowdener's barrel. Um, but then I had a family, so I've added to it, yeah. and I've added all the other eco features to it. So it's massive. So where, where did the barrels come from? Uh, up in the Spey Valley from a big cooperage, and they're used in the whiskey industry as three or four different names. One is washback tanks, and they use the word they use is a ton. Mm. And I, I'm not sure exactly how it is. I think it's a T-U-N. Uh, washback tanks, spirit receivers, uh, and mash tanks. But I like the spirit receiver idea. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and they're 80 years old before we started already. Oh, really? And a lot of the big distilleries have sort of totally upgraded themselves and it's all stainless steel and everything like that. But they're beautiful timber, really massive. What kind of uh, timber is it? It's an Austrian Douglas fir, we Gosh. understand. Um, so they were, and then I've got to put on a little, as I had a family, I had to put on an annex out there. Mm. But there's a lovely little eco. This is a little whiskey barrel down in here. So they just you you got them as as giant tubs. Yes. And uh, so what did you do after you'd got them? Well, then we had to sort of obviously put some more insulation in them. Mm -hmm. So we put an interior liner inside, uh, and then we, different ones have got different roof structures. This is a reciprocal frame which fits on the barrel really well. It's self-supporting. Um, that was a major thing, but it's really you almost need to be a shipbuilder because this you know one is it's round so yeah. you have to and then also if you might notice the wall slope yeah uh, so everything is like this is hanging off the wall oh yeah <laughs> um and for furniture doesn't fit it very well and then this kind of roof is really it's compound angles it's a lot of work gosh yeah but well the barrel itself only cost a thousand pounds wow but then we, I think way back 25 years ago, we probably spent about 10, the first one 10,000 and these 15,000 to do them up into little houses. And the foundations, they're sitting on big concrete blocks because okay. they've got big massive uh, timbers underneath yeah. as sort of structural support sitting on concrete foundation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and did it smell of whiskey when you first moved in? Uh, a little bit. Everybody asks that question, but yeah. it really smells when you cut the wood. Ah. Uh, it's really lovely. And that's what we were doing. We were buying old whiskey barrel staves for our saunas at that, in those days and firewood. And they said, oh, come and look at these. And these, they were collapsed down like a box of matches, you know. So 
And we went, wow, look at that. And Roger Doudna, uh, the neighbor, had the idea of turning them into little micro houses. Amazing. Yeah. Gosh. So was it quite easy to extend it? Uh, well, yes. I'm, um, I'm what I, I classify myself as a wood butcher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was born on an isolated farm and we, yeah. you know, uh, basically built things from scratch. Mm. Um, and uh, so I actually used a lot of timber from the local plantation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to get planning permission. Um, and I've had five different extensions of planning permission. Mm. Uh, and so this is one part of the barrel. And then there's another bedroom down in here. Uh, and another piece up above us, where's my studio. Hello, Lizzie. No, not here. Uh, it's mm. like a labyrinth. It is, so isn't it? There's a, Lizzie and her son are in here right now. Um, goes around and around. And it goes out into a big permaculture patch. Oh. I'm a permaculture teacher. Um, mm. Mm. Grow probably 90% of my food. Uh, wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. We can't go out. There's a bathroom in there that's being renovated, so we okay. have to go back out. But you can see I've just used a lot of... This side of the house is probably 90% recycled. Gosh, from what? Uh, old houses and doors oh, really? and windows and, and cutting all my own timber and, oh. um, yeah. Did you just go through architectural salvage or something to get your... Yes, and bits? plus with all the new buildings that are here, yeah. uh, you've seen a lot of them, yeah. uh, I use a lot of the so-called waste ah. and because they always have uh, a tremendous amount of... Uh, over-ordering. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. You mean houses uh, in the community around? Or yes, in, no, yeah. right, right around here. Yeah, uh-huh. And you can see, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, except for the fridge and the stove, mm-hmm. everything else is found. It's all our wow. skips. Yeah. But I'm a good, uh, you know, I'm a good scavenger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I heat the house uh, in the winter through with this beast. Yeah. I've had it on today just to, and it gives me all my domestic hot water as oh, right. well as space heating. It's very snug in here. Mm-hmm. And then in when the sun's out, I can go solar. I've got solar, You've panels. Got solar panels. Yeah. Yeah. But come up here. This is another extension of it. Uh-huh. And do you um, just heat food using the electricity? Yeah, I've yeah. got the minimum use of electricity. I, you know, just use it for lighting because I. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, it's so massive this is up here. Studio, come bedroom, come everything. It's and huge. This is where I create these panels that you can see. Oh uh, yeah, they're lovely. Yeah. So you just built on top of it. Uh, yeah, I designed it myself. This yeah. bit, as I got to know more, as we were starting to build the Echo Village, I started to get more into the whole thing of passive solar houses, and so this is designed due south, yeah. catching the radiance of the sun all day. Uh, there's no heating up here other than the little bit of solar gain that's come. Gosh, it's because it's roasting up here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, and when the sun's out, it's like Australia. It's wow. wonderful. And I'm using it now, of course, drying uh, seeds um, for next year, harvesting and drying all the time. Were there ever any issues with planning permission? Not. Uh, we, we had, uh, let me see... We learned our lesson quickly, is to befriend right. your planners and to really okay. be transparent and open and show yeah. them what you're doing and actually, in some ways, try to educate them mm-hmm. because all of our ec- ecological standards are far higher than theirs 
um, that's in insulation and double glazing and uh, non-toxic materials and also we have developed a thing called breathing wall in conjunction with cat in Wales uh, and that uh, is a way in which you, your house will breathe naturally mm-hmm. without having to put in heat exchanges and all those other sort of uh, active processes. Yeah. yeah, there were two big storms this year where the temperatures dropped much more than they would normally at the funny times of year. Did that affect you at all? Well, actually, not really, because actually this area is get, gets extreme temper, uh, extreme oh. storms. Uh, okay. And I've been here 50 years now, and three times in that 50 years I've experienced like force 12 gales go through. Gosh. And uh, ripping my roof off and oh, really? uh, rolling over caravans and knocking down oh, the forest. So we've had a little bit of, we've had a few bumps. Yeah. Um, but definitely climatically, it's warmer for sure. Mm. Um um it could be drier but actually i think we're getting we we have we've had a dry summer Mm. but we only usually have a summer about every seven years so Mm. uh, we don't expect it every now and then oh really um but findhorn is on a floodplain and the findhorn village uh, usually gets flooded about every 200 years and we're at that point oh really so it just could happen i mean it could happen anywhere but uh, if that happens well, well, we'll go under. Um, right. Yeah. Can't do much about that. I, I think within that context of the whole sort of global warming phenomena and that, we've looked at it seriously and said, you know, well, where, what, maybe where should we move to or mm. something like that? And then we realized there's no safe space. You know, mm. when if anything happens wherever you are, it's usually drastic these days. Mm. Um, so we'll see. Mm. Um, yeah. Even though another part of the community, which you probably not have you visited Clooney Hill? No. Not? So we've got a 180-year-old Victorian hotel. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a bit of... Um, and it has about approximately 150 residents. And it's our most ecologically sustainable building that we have. Oh, really? Because of the concentration of people using one heat source one laundry one kitchen and all transport so all of our lovely eco houses everywhere um, it's the thing that really reduces our footprint more than anything else Mm, interesting yeah it is i mean really we should be building probably larger dormitory you know larger collective housing Mm. instead of individual housing Uh, is there any call to do that here uh, we've done some. You might have seen, mm. been on the field. I yeah. mean, there's the Centenis down the middle where we've got uh, row houses and then the new um, housing cooperative out the back. Mm. Uh, that's, again, clustered housing. Mm-hmm. And these houses here, uh, they're super insulated houses uh, as well. So we've got some good examples of cluster housing. Mm. Yeah, But nothing like 150 beds in one space. I'd like to think these days that my electricity is still coming from the windmills, but our wind, wind park is too small yeah. with the amount of houses. Um, I thought myself at one point of going off grid, mm. but it seemed pointless when we were already treating our waste biologically mm. ourselves and also producing our electricity. Mm. Um, that sound is just because somebody's flushed a toilet somewhere and 
I've got a gravity system in the house. Oh, I see. And my stopcock is recycled and is very noisy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's quite nice sound. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I used to use it because I sleep here. And oh, yeah. uh, it could tell me when uh, my daughters, when they were younger, were com- well, c- came home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can go back to sleep then. Yeah, no, no, I can go back to Well, wonderful. Thank you. That was really fascinating. It's such a lovely house. Yeah, no, it's a unique. Yeah. Uh, it's a hand-built house, and uh, it's actually a children's house. I've, I mean, I've had a family in here, but I've got, uh, you know, I've been here 50 years, so now I've got at least four generations of wow. young kids that I've been friends to. So they're not mine physiologically, uh-huh. but they're just, I mean, I've been dad, and then I'm now I'm granddad, and... Oh. The house has that sort of, you know, it's almost, uh, it's like a hobbit house when you look at it. It is, isn't it? It's lovely. It's like a fairy tale house, definitely. That's all from Resurgence Voices for now. Thanks for listening.